Welcome to the Streamline Performance Podcast, where our mission is to provide you, the everyday athlete, with the knowledge, insight, and tools to stay active, improve performance, and avoid injury along the way. We believe that an active life is a life worth living, and if you're here, you likely do too. If you're ready to learn from the best doctors, coaches, athletes, and other leading experts in the ever-changing world of health and wellness, you're in the right place. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, guys, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Today, I'm really excited. We have uh, Toro Performance coach and owner, Jason Lenski, with us. Um, Jason is actually my triathlon coach, and um, he is local here in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area. Toro Performance is, uh, is a really, really great coaching company. They have several coaches and coach athletes all over the country, but also athletes all over the world. So I'll let Jason talk a little bit about himself and we'll kind of jump into it. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, as Nick said, my name is Jason Lenski with Toro Performance. Man, I started Toro in 2012 back in Austin, Texas, when I was racing elite at a very mediocre level and uh, really immersed myself in the community and just knew that there was a, a huge opportunity to, to help athletes really figure out how to integrate training into their busy lifestyle without compromising what I like to call, you know, non-negotiables with work, family, and, and, and so on. But yeah, that was back in 2012. And prior to that, in 2008 was when I really got into the coaching game, if you will. I, I went down to Colorado Springs and, and got my USAT coaching cert, uh, certification in 2008 after uh, I fell in love with the sport back in 2006. So been doing this for quite a while, coaching in some capacity since really 2008. And then, um, yeah, really just went all in with triathlon since and have, have found a way to maintain this lifestyle and grow from working with some really awesome coaches over the years. And many of those coaches are still my mentors to this day. So yeah, right now, Tour Performance has uh, four coaches in total. We have coaches really all over. Coach Scott Ellis um, is, is based in the Chicagoland area. Uh, Pablo Gomez is a coach and professional triathlete, and he's in actually Bogota, Colombia. And then uh, Dr. Whitley Atkins is based in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. So we're really fortunate to have an awesome team. And, and really what that helps us do more than anything is just create a really immersive and robust community of education that we can provide our athletes. So I won't bore you with the details, but we're going to get into it. And uh, I'll let Nick take the lead from here. Yeah, so um, I kind of wanted to to point on something that Jason mentioned that I think that all of their coaches do a really good job at, though, is, you know, finding that balance between how do you be an athlete and be, you know, full-time job? How do you have a family with that? And and they do a really good job of helping you find the balance because I think that that is an extremely challenging thing. I know that I've struggled with that myself. And it's one thing to just write a workout and it's another thing to write a workout that fits someone's lifestyle and, and, and their life. And so uh, Toro and all their coaches do a really fantastic job of that. And I'm really appreciative of that. But um, I wanted to chat with you, Jason, just, you know, um, you kind of come from a little bit more of a running background um, in general. And uh, for people that are maybe newer to the sport, maybe they uh, they don't have 
any running background or any cycling or swimming background, what do you think are kind of the, the, the main pieces that make people successful at triathlon, whether you're coming from a competitive sport or um, you're kind of just like, Hey, I, I want to try something new. Yeah. I think the sport of triathlon really, it, it attracts the type A individual, right. Who loves to check the box and, and get things done day in and day out and, and find a way to, to get it in. But that can often, um, as you touched on, lead athletes down a slippery slope of obsessing over making workout a priority over everything, you know? And it's just like, nope, got to train. Can't go to this function, got to train. And it's like, it, it's great because it's a healthy lifestyle, but it can also become way too much of a priority, if you will. Like the only performance that matters is race day. And I think our role, our role as coaches is to help athletes buy into that process and be like, Hey, like this one workout is not going to make or break you. And, and don't get me wrong. Like we, we train our athletes extremely hard, but we also kind of um, eliminate the fluff. And, and if I could pinpoint one type of athlete who succeeds in triathlon, it's anyone who's disciplined. You know, from my experience, if, if I were to pluck my dream athlete, who's the most coachable, it's, a, it's an athlete who grew up swimming, to tell you the truth, because they have no problem working hard for whatever reason. They're all extremely coachable. They listen. Not that questioning a workout is a bad thing, but like all my swimmers, or whether they're, you know, uh, just grew up swimming and, and maybe stopped after high school, but especially my, my athletes who swam in uh, post high school, man, they'll do anything like, and, and they'll do it to the T, which is like a dream come true as a coach because they, they have a monster engine just from growing up doing nothing but um, aerobic capacity development and their work ethic is second to none. I think if there's one downside and Nick, you can certainly touch on this, but you know, swimmers, particularly females in, in my experience who, who grow up in the water, uh, a non-weight bearing activity can, can certainly lead to a negative effect of, of bone mineral density. So typically we, I, I tend to be pretty conservative on the run, at least initially, but yeah, that, that's definitely something where I'm grateful to have somebody like Nick in my corner where, where we can communicate with our athletes to make sure everybody's healthy. Uh, really long answer. I think any, any athlete who shows discipline can be successful in endurance sports, particularly triathlon, as long as they buy into the process. Like, you got to buy into the process, not blind trust, but you just got to buy into the process. Yeah. Well, and I'll speak from a swimming perspective, I guess. I think that mm -hmm. swimming in general requires a certain type of personality that you have to be very intrinsically motivated to just stare at the black line. You know, um, it doesn't matter if you're in the most beautiful city or location in the world, like the black line looks like the black line, no matter where you're at. Yeah. You, know, you can go on a cycling trip and it's, totally different scenery and, um, training, you know, can vary, but, um, at the end of the day, swimming is kind of a, the most monotonous, I think that it can get. And, um, I think that sometimes, uh, that really builds a certain type of psychology for athletes coming out of the pool, but you're right. I think, uh, we, I do see in my practice, people that come from a swimming background that start to get into running, uh, if they don't do it the right way, they can certainly get hurt. And because people that are really good swimmers tend to be very hypermobile, 
uh, and they lack a lot of control. And uh, once you start introducing that load from the run under fatigue from the bike, that's where things start to kind of break down. And so uh, it's not only about how fast can you run, it's how strong can you be while running tired. And um, so that's that's a great point. You had kind of mentioned that, and I, I think that you focus on this with all of your athletes a little bit, but focusing on the run off the bike as being a very key part of the race. And I know that this is something in my training, this has been something that I've really had to work on because I am one of those swimmers that's very hypermobile and running uh, has its challenges for me. But uh, how would you recommend people go about starting to learn how to run faster off the bike? Is that a training thing? Do we, do we need to be doing certain kinds of sets? Are there strategies in the race that you should be focusing on? What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. And one I get a lot, particularly from a, a single sport athlete, you know, especially a runner who gets into triathlon. They're like, man, you know, I might, my, my, let's just give an example. Let's say someone's open half marathon time. So if they're, they're not riding the bike before, let's say they're, they run uh, a 130 half marathon time. And then in their, their 70.3, they run two hours. And they're like, what the hell? Like, why, yeah. why is there such a stark contrast in my ability to run a, a 130? And then I run two hours and I'm doing all this other training. I should be cardiovascularly fitter. Like, what gives? And I, I think the easiest answer is, is just something I call durability. You know, that athlete lacks the durability to run within 6% is, is my rule of thumb of okay. their open time. So if someone runs a 130, let's test my math here. That's probably what, like a 135 or 136 yeah. off the bike is, is where they should be. So that's 6% for a half or a 70.3. And then I double that for a full, so 12% for a full. Sure. Okay. Okay. And if we're not, then we need to rewind and take a, take a look back at the athlete swim and bike training. You know, one of the things you've probably heard me say this a million times, but swim fitness is run fitness, bike fitness is run fitness. What does that mean? It means whatever we're doing in, in a triathlon, it's a day of accumulated fatigue. So the, the, the lack of fitness in the water eventually is going to show up on the run. The lack of fitness in the water is eventually going to show up on the bike. So it, it, it's all about preparing the body to run on a tired body as you touched on. So just stop thinking, you know, for my runners out there, stop training like a runner and start training for a single sport that's called triathlon. Additional run mileage is, is not the secret to running faster off the bike. It, it's about implementing the right type of volume to build that appropriate triathlon resilience and durability. So it, it sounds super boring, but essentially... If you hit transition and you get on the bike and you're smoked from the swim, immediately you're, you're tapping into energy stores that could have been stored for the run. So you're, you're, if we get into details here, I think your weekly run mileage should never really be more than one-fifth of your bike mileage. So assuming your nutrition is spot on, you're decoupling should not be greater than that six and 12% as long as you're swimming and riding as much as you, you should be. So if, if your weekly run mileage, let's, let's rewind your weekly run mileage should never be more than one fifth of your bike mileage. So if that doesn't seem like much running, 
you're probably not riding enough. So swimming and riding a ton, and then we sprinkle and run uh, effectively, I guess is, is the uh, really long answer there, Nick. I think having some objective markers for people, I think that makes it a little bit more digestible and uh, mm-hmm. people can kind of base some, some of their training off of it. For those new to the sport or looking to get into it, the a big piece of your T2 training or bike to run training is doing brick workouts. And so, you know, coming off of a, a challenging bike workout and going and, and trying to run right off of that within, you know, five, 10 minutes afterwards. Um, so those are some longer training days. And how, how do you go about programming brick workouts? Is there like a time in the season where a brick workout looks one way and then another time in the season, it looks another way. What's the kind of strategy behind that? Yeah, great, great, great question. And yeah, just to reiterate what Nick said, a, a brick is basically a swim to bike or a bike to run. Um, for logistics reasons, it's not always super easy to, to do a swim to bike unless you bring your your trainer to the pool deck, which is not always ideal, but it, it can be effective, particularly for our short course athletes who it's it's full beans for the entire intensity of the entire duration of the race. So, you know, you've got to jump out of, out of the pool and hit it on the pool deck. So um, when to implement these workouts, probably within the last uh, 12 weeks uh, of training is really when I like to sprinkle them in. More oftentimes than not, it just comes down to time standpoint. You know, it, it can be longer, you know, to do these sessions, or I should say more demanding to do these sessions during the week. So typically we, we do them on the weekend um, or, or maybe on a Tuesday or Thursday where it's an hour ride and a 20 or 30 minute run, but we start short, you know, short, frequent bricks are really an effective way to train your body, to get used to what that feels like, because, uh, from a mechanical standpoint, it's a whole new sensation when you, your feet hit the ground after an intense bike ride. And I think just training the body and that neuromuscular memory is a huge uh, component to to being successful in running well off the bike. Additionally, and perhaps more importantly, the longer bricks as we get into those final eight weeks, if we're talking 70.3 or full, this is how we ensure your nutrition is dialed in. So, you know, if you've got a four hour ride with say, um, four by 20 minutes at your 70.3 effort on the bike. And then you have a, a 40 minute run with 20 minutes of race effort off the bike. If you finish that ride on empty, you're going to have a really poor run. So we do these in training to prepare, you know, obviously your body physiologically, but also nutritionally to ensure everything is dialed in. So, um, there's a million ways to do bricks. Um, but I think more than anything, do them within the final eight to 12 weeks and use them as a nutrition test more than anything. Um, here in Phoenix, it can be really, really uh, alarming when you get off the bike at 11 a.m. Um, yeah. And it's it's 112 outside. That can be a real test of, of, of mental sure. fitness, but also nutrition. Well, and, and to your point, I mean, that nutrition can vary by season too. So uh, yeah, playing with that and I know you have a lot of athletes that I've worked with that that know like their sweat rate. They know how much water they're losing every time they go out and it's 110 on the bike. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you you can be as specific as you want to be about it. And I think that, uh, you know, 
in triathlon, there is the saying that nutrition is the fourth discipline. Um, I, I think that that is really true and playing with that under different scenarios in different brick workouts is, is really crucial for a lot of people. And something that I kind of want to touch on and uh, hopefully it's a simple answer. And um, when I get someone who is maybe not being coached by an actual coach and they just go and download a, a program online to you know, complete your first 70.3 or whatever, when I'm talking to them about their programming, what their workouts are looking like, it always revolves around what their pace is on the run. Uh, it's like, well, I, I'm doing, you know, 30 minutes at eight minute pace and then I'm doing that. And whenever you and I work together, uh, we tend to choose things based on heart rate. And so I, I personally am a way I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the heart rate prescription, but I love your explanation on why you choose to do it that way. I think it, it's really just comes down to ego. You know, I, I think if we try to adhere to a certain pace on every workout, we're just going to get hurt, particularly on the run. So by establishing the, you know, initially when I work with an athlete, the first thing we do is we may take a week or two just to really establish their heart rate training zones. Um, and, and so we can, you know, determine, okay, what is your 90 to 100% of your threshold heart rate? What is your roughly 85 to 90% threshold heart rate? And then what is your 75 to 80% threshold heart rate? And right in that aerobic endurance zone, that's 70 to 80, 75 to 80% heart rate, like that's our bread and butter. That's where we hang out most of the time. Um, and for a lot of people, that's pretty slow, like comparatively to what they've been doing. You know, they, they've probably been training all the time too, too quick you know, in that sort of gray zone where it looks good on Strava, but they're not developing their aerobic uh, capacity in the long run. They're kind of just, they're not going easy enough and they're, they're, they're going, uh, and they're not going fast enough to get into that uh, threshold. You know, it's kind of that gray zone of like, yeah. what, are, what are we doing here? So I think, look, downloadable plans can be really effective if you're realistic with the amount of hours you can commit to training and then also realistic with, okay, how am I going to adhere to these workouts? Is it based on my heart rate threshold? Uh, is it based on percentage of pace? Um, what happens if I have a really rough week or I, I slept two hours last night? Like you've got to have the ability to modify on the fly as well. So I guess utilizing heart rate, I'm kind of going a couple different directions here, but by utilizing heart rate, you kind of remove that that variable uh, of pace, and it just makes your time much more effective. You know, if, if you can eliminate the desire to adhere to a specific pace, just let go of it. Pace yeah. is only relevant on race day. Like it, it doesn't matter what you're doing in training. Of course, we train to meet and exceed the demands of racing, but if you're adhering to the the zone prescribed it's going to come together on race day. As long as you nail your fueling, you know, it, yeah. the, we're, we're always in a state of fatigue. So like your, your 140 to 150 range, maybe one pace one day and another pace another day. If you just tried to hold that same pace on those two different days, you're going to be working way too hard one of those days. Sure. So I think it just comes down to ego management, you know? And I think okay. more than anything, swimmers get that 
you know, they know on their easy days, they're still working on body connection and technique, which is going to enhance their ability to swim well at a, at a high level or at, at a high speed. And, and I'm not just stroking Nick's ego here because he's an incredible swimmer. It's, it's just, you know, I've been doing this for close to 20 years and it's just the, my experience. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I agree with you. And I think that the heart rate prescription just allows athletes to take into account total system fatigue. Um, and you, you kind of hit on that, but, um, you know, it's not just fatigue from the workout, you know, two, three days ago, it's fatigue from maybe you had a, a long shift at work or, um, you're up in the middle of the night with your kid or whatever. And, you know, your heart rate is going to take all of that into account. And, uh, if we stay true to the heart rate, then we're, we're not going to be hitting, falling into that overtraining and kind of risk of injury zone quite as often as, as you might, if you were just trying to hit the same pace on runs all the time with all those other variables going on. Um, totally. And, and, and I think, you know, we can, we can dig into this in another podcast, but you know, heart rate is still my gold standard in terms of uh, sure. monitoring workload, you know, Garmin, you know, if I have an athlete who wears their Garmin all the time, you know, we, we can check morning heart rate, check for those morning warnings. We can see if that heart rate is elevated or suppressed, you know, or, or do we have fatigue coming on? Do we have sickness coming on? And like you said, our bodies cannot compartmentalize stress. So if you had a wild work at week, uh, you've got, that's going to likely lead to stressors at home. And then you've got a really demanding uh, training week, like something's got to give. Yeah. You know, we, we've got to think macro here and, and globally and be like, okay, let's pivot, move this, this really demanding week, one week forward and, and just make the most of our time. So I think that just comes down to communicating with your coach and, and I'm fortunate to, to coach full time. And that allows me to really figure out how, how to maneuver um, athletes lives uh, and make the most of their training because yeah, writing training is the easy part of my job. I think that the tricky and enjoyable part is, is figuring out how to make it all work um, so and getting up to the start line healthy. I'm curious, like how often on a daily basis do you think you're going in and tweaking the plan that you went in with? At the Like if you wrote stuff on Sunday for people for the week, like how often are you going in and tweaking that plan? I think it really depends on the time of year in the season. Like if we're in that final eight weeks, say – Say Nick is training for um, AZ 70.3. I don't know the exact date in October, but let's say it's it's like early September. So we're really in the thick of it. Maybe once a week because things come up. And, and I think if, if we're trying to maneuver those high volume days around a crazy week of work, it, it could be once a week. That being said, like real, real, like in the real world, how often do I tweak it? And it's hard to say, I think it, it shouldn't have to be tweaked weekly. If we, because yeah. I like to adhere to the same routine, like, you know, what you're going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you can kind of adjust that, but yeah, probably <laughs> I'm on training peaks a lot, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can imagine. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's cut it off here and, um, we'll definitely plan to do this again. I know there's a lot of questions that I still have that I'd love to get your input on, but why don't you let everyone know, you know, how they can find out more about you and Toro and, um, if they're looking for a new coach or looking for 
a first time coach, how they can kind of go about that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if you're wherever you are, you know, hit us up on Instagram. You can give us a follow at toro.performance. You can follow me at Jay Lensky. Head to toroperformance.net. You can check out our, our blog, subscribe to our newsletter. If you're in the Phoenix area, um, you can probably see me at one of the pools Monday, Wednesday, Friday in Scottsdale. But yeah, more than anything, I just like to, to filter out all the noise on the internet for, for anyone. You don't have to be our athlete, you know. Come on uh, Instagram, comment on one of our posts or shoot me a message. I'm happy to just give you an objective viewpoint of what you may or may not be doing well and how we can improve that to, to make your training more effective because training should not take over your life. You know, it, it should be a, a, a big part of your life, but it, it should not be the end all be all, whether you're racing your, your first time Ironman or, or at a very high level. And, and I'm fortunate to coach beginners up to the, to, to the pro level. So it should just be fun. If you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Well, and uh, I want to mention something that you didn't uh, real quick. Toro has a great newsletter that goes out every month. Um, that whether you're a Toro athlete or not, I think a lot of people benefit from the information in there. Um, how do people get signed up on that? Um, just head to, uh, you can find us on Facebook, just, just search Toro performance, and then you can, uh, sign up there. Um, or we, we do have a link on our Instagram bio to, to sign up for the newsletter as well. Awesome. All right, Jason, uh, appreciate your time, man. Um, I'll probably, well, you, you've got a kid showing up in the next, like probably 48 hours or so, I think. So, um, I'll let you get some sleep and, um, you know, take some, some weight off the legs after your ride this morning, but thanks for hopping on. Um, and we'll chat soon. Sounds good, man. Talk soon. All right.